Welcome to the Elevate Together podcast, voices of change in the business of law. Hello, this is Nicole Giantonio, the Chief Marketing Officer at Elevate. The podcast episode you're about to hear is part of our expert series covering data breach from three angles, legal technology and services. Our guests share their perspective on where the industry is and what's next. Our host for this podcast is James Minari, a vice president at Elevate. Joining James for this discussion are three industry experts who will introduce themselves at the beginning of the podcast. Since this recording, Adi Elliott's role has changed. He is now the COO at Canopy Software. To start us off, could we do a quick introduction starting with Adi? Adi Elliott, CRO, Canopy Software. Melissa? Melissa Ventron, Clark Hill, business unit leader for the privacy and cybersecurity team. And Megan? Megan Silverman, Director of Elevate's Incident Response Practice. Thank you, guys. Let's get started. Data breach is a very in vogue topic these days. Curious to hear how each of you got your start in the breach business. Starting with Melissa? Uh, Thanks, James. So interestingly enough, I was actually in Afghanistan. I've served 21 years in the Marine Corps before I retired and in the Marine Corps Reserve. And so I was in Afghanistan. I had kind of decided to leave the law. I was going to go be a logistics officer in Stuttgart, Germany, a former commanding officer who was looking for someone who was serving as an executive officer who was licensed or had been licensed in Illinois. I was serving as an executive officer. So I sent in my resume. I had a 45-minute phone call with them. Well, I'm in Afghanistan in my camouflage utilities with my weapon. And they sent me an offer and hired me. And the next thing I know, that's how I got involved in, in breach response, which is a really good fit, right? Because in the logistics world, it's right people, right place, right time. And in the cyber world, it's the same thing, right people, right place, right time. And that was more years ago than I'm going to tell anyone. And it's been it's been fantastic ever since. That's great. Adi. I was kind of a, a product and marketing person in Chicago in 2008. And I was trying not to have to move to Redmond or Mountain View at the time. And there was a tiny company that was a consulting company that wanted to be a software company and they needed somebody to lead marketing and help them make that transition. So I figured I'll take that job. And if this blows up, then I'll probably go to Mountain View and and do the Valley thing. But that company was at the time called Kikira. It turned into Relativity. They're a big player in the e-discovery space. And e-discovery was like this adjacency to data breach response. So that kind of kicked off the adjacency. I left Relativity to join a company called Iris Data Services. We sold Iris Data Services to Epic. Was at Epic for a while, leading strategy for one of their business units, their e-discovery business unit. And then after that, honestly, I was kind of done with e-discovery at the time. Then all the regulations changed. All of a sudden, there's a lot more teeth to the global regulations and data breach response came up. Somebody connected me and the CEO of Canopy. And the space just seemed incredibly interesting. And it was close enough to e-discovery. I didn't know all the people in it, but I usually knew somebody who knew somebody. And it was really interesting and kind of fluky. But that's how these things go. Great. And how about you, Megan? I guess my story is kind of a mixture of Adiz and Melissa. I got my start over in India when I was working at an LPO and we had to start doing a lot of PII and PHI reviews and redactions. So that's when we found out what the sensitive data was. And then I did all types of litigation review for a very long time and then came to Elevate and started up the incident response practice here. Great. Well, thank you all. To move into this, Melissa... As an experienced expert in the field, what would you say your take is on the evolution of instant response and where the industry is today? James, that's a very, very broad question. 
I think it's driven a bit by what the laws are in the field. It's driven a bit by consumer reaction. And then it's also driven a bit by the attackers and how they change some of their tactics and techniques because you always have the human factor. People are getting more concerned about the use of their information. I mean, I think they've always been a bit concerned, but there's more collection of data. There's more storage of data. Unlike when we had paper documents and they were in the filing room and you had four warehouses full of documents, you don't really see all of this information and data that people maintain and keep. And people don't get rid of data. They're like, I might need that pleading that I filed in 1973. (laughs) And they want to go back and, and review it and reference it. And so we have a half of keeping information and storing it. And so I think that there's more tension. We're seeing in the last little bit, if you will, more litigation that's being filed. We're seeing more regulatory actions. We're seeing more aggressive regulatory actions. We're seeing these types of regulatory actions against companies of all sizes. So not just the big ones, but the little ones. And in the consumer space, there's an expectation if you hand your information over that that company needs to take the right steps to protect it. And if that company is breached, then the consumer looks at it as it's not the criminal's fault, it's you company and your responsibility. And so that continues, I think, to pervade the whole entire incident response arena, if you will. I think we'll just continue to see more consumer activity. We'll continue to see more regulatory legislation and we'll continue to see more litigation grow from incidents. I don't like the word breaches. And Adi, is that similar to what you're seeing? For us on the software side, it's really interesting, especially on the the data breach response side. It was a space that was basically created out of nowhere. So unlike the adjacency that I came from in e-discovery, that had been going on forever. There was always a tradition of discovery going back 50s, 60s, 70s. It was far fewer pieces of paper back then, no doubt, and really more deposition-based. But that general process of discovery had been happening forever, where data breach response and a company, a software company like Canopy, it couldn't have existed 10 years ago because the regulations weren't mature enough to justify its existence. Nobody would have paid for it. Nobody was paying attention. And I would argue around 2018, give or take, all over the world, regulations got very serious and a lot more teeth from the regulators, a lot more public awareness and a lot more reputational damage from these incidents. And I agree with Melissa. I am not a huge fan of the word breach, even though the space is data breach response. We're we're hoping that these incidences do not become breaches and ideally that they don't happen to begin with because we're all consumers here too and we're all people with PII. But what's interesting to me is that These regulations were super sensible and we as human beings appreciate them. Like I like that my state, my government, every politicians are thinking about protecting our data, but there was no technology to solve any of these problems at the time. It was really aspirational. The idea that you needed to take data that had been compromised and analyze it for PII and what people were in it and then get letters to people that need to be notified, that was new. That Everything about that was new. There's way more parts of privacy that cropped up and software has come along to solve it. But at the time, it was purely aspirational. So for us, it was being a part of a really interesting space, helping protect people's data. It's growing and interesting, but it's also to me extremely compelling to be a part of a space that just straight up did not exist 10 years ago. And we're inventing it as we go. That's great. And this is really a question for all of you, given the different angles of the business that you see. Are there concerns that are newly relevant in today's world? This is Melissa. So from a legal perspective, yeah, there's concerns that are newly relevant, but some of it is based off of our interpretations of things that we've had in place for years. When you look at it from a legal perspective, the laws lag behind technology. And so we're trying to take laws that were developed in 1970s, 1980s, 1990s and apply it to 20. 
30, 20, 40 going forward, you're in some respects trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. For instance, this whole concept at one particular point in time of was known as zombie cookies. So you would have a cookie on your computer and you would say, delete it, and then it would repopulate. A cookie takes up less than the top of a pin, but they filed lawsuits under this theory of trespass. You were trespassing on my computer because you were putting something on there that wasn't permitted. So we're still, I think, seeing that and we're struggling with it. We see it in some of the data branch response laws. For instance, a lot of the laws have a low risk of harm or no risk of identity theft kind of caveat. It was inadvertently sent to someone that you have a contract with in another company. Uh, they certified that they deleted it and they didn't share it and they didn't keep a copy. But there are still some states that don't have that carve out. And so simply because email was sent to somebody that had personal information who wasn't authorized to have it, there is now a requirement to do notification. So I think you know from the legal perspective, the laws are struggling to keep up with the technology and the changes. And frankly, I don't know that that's ever going to change. Technology changes so fast. And we all know that the legal process is not fast. I would say one counterpoint to that is the laws to respond to this stuff. The laws are leading on that. Easy example is, I would argue, and our clients have told us, and Megan can probably speak to this really tangibly, that before Canopy came along as a specific data breach response solution, the 72-hour GDPR requirement to notify the ICO, that was essentially impossible to truly comply with the way they were expecting with the technology available for anything above 10, 20, 40 gigabytes. If you get a million records telling them in 72 hours what's in there, who knows? I'll tell you after I look at all the documents, I guess. In that sense, the laws are leading the technology. We're all clicking on cookie consents now. And the laws certainly created all those cookie consents. That's up for a different debate. Megan, what was your take? You've kind of seen the evolution. I'm kind of curious to hear your take on the data breach response side, how things have evolved from cobbling together technology that wasn't made for this, and then all of it has seen the maturity of the market. I would agree with you. I don't think the lawmakers necessarily understand the technology or understand the scope of what they're asking companies or attorneys to do in responding to these types of incidents. I don't think that they would ever imagine there would be teams of 500 people working around the clock in order to meet these 72-hour type deadlines. But with technology, there has been great advances in our ability to meet some of these requirements of the laws. We can do it a lot faster now with technology like Canopy and with experienced teams. But if you're asking a company without the luxury of having the funding or the right contact, like Melissa would say, it's like knowing who to go to at the right time, right people, right place. Without that, you know, it's impossible to comply with most of these regulations. I am actually going to counter that a little bit because I don't need to tell the regulator that Melissa Ventrone's information has been breached. I just need to tell the regulator that I have a belief that personal information may have been impacted. I can do that without yet having gone through the whole entire review analysis. I think companies need to have a better process in place for knowing where their data is. The amount of times you talk to somebody and they're like, oh, I didn't realize marketing had social security numbers. Yeah, the person in marketing has been there for 25 years and 25 years ago, you use socials to market to people. I think, Megan, your statement about the regulators not understanding the logistics in the background of the incident response process isn't 
entirely accurate. You'll have regulators that call and say, have you done the notification? I'm like, I just identified the information that's at risk. We're having people work on this, like you said, round the clock and review the information. And then we're having people who aren't familiar with the organization review the information. So then we have to tell them that, yes, it is related or no, it's not related. And it's this whole entire process. And some of the states certainly don't take that approach. I think some states, I'd at least have consideration for the approach. And I think that the EU is just from an experience perspective behind the U.S., but they're going to quickly catch up and realize what that is. And until we have a foolproof way, Canopy Software has a way to expedite the process, but not expedite the process to the point that the regulators would like, which is, yes, you had an incident yesterday. How are you notifying today? There's a lot of education. Frankly, to me, it's one of the most interesting parts of this space is how one, it's evolving on all fronts. It's very, very much evolving every single day. And then two, every single project, there's usually someone involved that needs to be heavily educated. The regulators are all over the place because it's new to them too. They haven't been regulating this for 20 years either. It's so interesting. The various expertise you get varies incredibly wildly. And trying to match that up and catch people up on a per project basis, not to mention the end client, it's incredibly interesting. Megan, you work with attorneys all the time. What percentage of attorneys would you say are truly experts in this space versus someone who's probably newer and maybe in over their head a little bit? I would say that we do work with a lot of different attorneys here at Elevate when we're resolving incidents and helping along the way. A lot of attorneys take a very cautious approach. And then there are other ones that have a, a different definition of what's considered sensitive data. And I'm not always privy to internal discussions or maybe which law they're trying to respond to or which regulation they're thinking about when they're making these decisions. But we've had cases where only people with addresses need to be on the final list, which seems like something that isn't the standard. We've also had cases where a bank account without a PIN is not sensitive data, or if it's an expired card, don't capture that. There's a lot of different approaches. And I'm not going to say someone's right and someone's wrong. There is a lot of leeway that I think Breach Council takes in these matters. And it could be dependent upon their experience and familiarity, or maybe they are a little newer to the space. That's great. And to switch from the focus on the regulatory piece to the affected parties, what tends to surprise you the most when working with the affected parties and the various vendors that you must when responding to an incident? Any good war stories, Melissa? So many, I'm not even sure where to start. Often the affected entities are super surprised at the amount of data they have and what that data contains. Oh, I didn't know so-and-so was storing that information. Okay, why not? There was one client that we worked with. It was a utility, water utility, and they had switched over from a system where you did the paper applications for credit to open up account to an online system. Well, the person who was handling that process was trained on the new online system, but then also printed it out in order to keep it in accordance with what they did on the paper system. So now they had not only electronic copies of everything, they also had paper copies of everything that were then scanned into the system. And so you just duplicated it and they didn't know about it. There's Tons of war stories. Law firms are notorious for data. We have a ton of data. They don't even realize where the data is sitting, how many depositions have social security numbers in them, just terabytes of information. And they're just surprised because attorneys don't care about where they save it. They just care that it's saved somewhere and they can access it. The affected entities, usually across the board, regardless of size, quite often surprised at the amount of data and what it contains. I just wanted to 
double up on Melissa's point, every review we do, we find these 10,000 page PDFs or 100,000 page Excel spreadsheets neatly organized into first name, last name, address, social security number, bank account, any kind of myriad of really sensitive data. It's just common practice, I think, for a lot of companies to keep data in this format and not understand that they have it where it is. Our average list is over 100,000 entities. So, you know, these are big companies with a lot of sensitive data. To take the 30,000 foot view, what's incredibly interesting to me... And again, I'm a big advocate for this space. It's growing. It's a lot of AI. It's interesting law. One thing I would take away anybody listening to this is get into this space because it's interesting. But at 30,000 feet, what we're all learning about all the time is the way in which companies think about and manage and have processes around their client data, their clients, who they sell to, how they sell to them how they manage their employee data. And because every single time we have these like funny PDFs or weird field in an Excel spreadsheet where they just dump a mountain of PII, they're actually internally solving some business problem. Like That's what's interesting about it to me as a business person is all of these companies, they're not doing this because they don't care at all about PII. They're doing it because they care deeply about providing good solutions to clients, solving some internal problem. And it's interesting to think Think about all the business problems of getting from point A to point B and how almost anything you can do with data, we end up seeing in our space in a not negative or nefarious way, just in terms of the office manager who needs to get data from point A to point B and drops it into a PDF or a spreadsheet. That's great. To move on, two or three pieces of advice that you'd give to an affected party or a potential affected party preparing to go through this process. Megan, why don't we start with you? In this space, I would say what I've noticed the biggest hurdle for people is create backups. Right now, I think in addition to cyber incidents and the release of sensitive data, that's what I do. And that's a huge part of it. The business interruption that is being caused right now by all of the cyber attacks without backups of your data, you can't get back up and running very quickly. And sometimes you have to redo everything your company has started to do from scratch. So I would say backups are really important. Also having a plan in place for what do we do when there is an incident. You might think you're prepared, but you're never prepared enough in an emergency. Roundtable exercises with your C-suite executives, with your reach counsel, pick your providers in advance because it's important to maintain a sense of confidence when you're going through an incident like this and knowing who to go to, which forensic provider, which breach counsel, having that plan in place so that there's no huge lag between when you discover the incident and when you bring on the right people to help you get to where you need to be and get through it successfully. And Melissa, you're brought on partly to give this advice. So what say you? I think there's two portions, right? If somebody's already been hit by an attack and they're responding to it, one of the biggest pieces of advice I can give is don't panic, You know, take a deep breath. By don't panic, I mean, don't go delete all the encrypted information because you know you have backups. Even though you later find out they hit the backups as well, that's happened. Don't go out and communicate to everyone that you've gotten hit by ransomware or had an attack or anything along those lines because you're going to be responding to all of those questions instead of actually responding to the incident and get the right people involved to help you respond. I think there's a lot of people that hang themselves out as of handling incidents or anything like that. You can ask a couple key questions. How many incidents have you handled? Have you responded? What's the biggest one? You can quickly learn whether you actually have experience 
if I'm giving a little bit of advice prior to the incident, I would say go on a data diet. If you don't need it, don't keep it. Understand where your information is. The number of companies who don't actually audit their document retention policy is probably over 90%. Just not something that companies do. We think we need to keep it. We keep it forever. We don't you know, think about how we access it. And we don't know where that data is. So doing the data mapping, network mapping, all of that, that's going to help you if you have an incident because you're like, oh, server A got hit. That has X, Y, and Z on it. Where if server A got hit and you haven't done that exercise, you're like, how many people have access to it? What's actually saved on there? So just really thinking through it from a response perspective, but also from a preparation perspective. And again, data diet. It's a good time to go on a diet. Always a good time. And a D. A few things too. I would say one know who your attorneys are going to be up front. And just as a plug from Alyssa, we get called sometimes because people have this idea that software will solve every problem for them these days. So because we're the software piece of data breach response, there have been times when we're like the first phone call, the first phone call before the insurance provider, before Melissa, before anybody, they think, well, a piece of software, like software will solve this. My response, don't make a move when this stuff happens because there are a lot of implications for what's going on and you need to make sure you're doing everything right. And ideally have that done up front. Have your panel with your cyber provider, know who exactly your cyber insurance provider, know exactly who your attorneys are going to be. And at least people get so hesitant to talk to an attorney because of billable hours and blah, blah, blah. It's way worth it upfront to have a couple conversations to know when this happens because this stuff is so usual now that it's not scaring people to think we're probably going to get hit at some point because it's scale. It just happens constantly. Assume it's going to happen. Past that, I would echo know what you're doing up front, know what your data is like. We're always the recipient of the data that's already been compromised. And what we found is the majority of the time, even though there's surveys, even though they're telling people and giving them good training, they don't really know what's in their emails. They don't really know what's in their file shares. And what people say on their surveys are not really what they're doing. And again, not because they're nefarious, just because they forget, oh yeah, I do jump drop a spreadsheet in this shared drive over here so this other person can pick it up. I'll echo, don't panic, know your panel, have things dialed in, don't make a move without an attorney. Sounds like a good place to begin wrapping up. I know that we're not in the prediction business. With that said, with the growing instances of ransomware and the seemingly increasing amount of incidents across the field, where do you see this going in five years, 10 years? I'll start with uh, Megan. Sure. Now, this is definitely my personal prediction. I see consumers becoming a little bit more desensitized to these incidents. For example, I received three letters this month, one from my mortgage company, one from a candy store I shop at, and another from somewhere else I shop. My data had been breached and I got some free credit monitoring. Um, I do see plaintiff's attorneys coming into the mix and filing some large lawsuits when they're able to. I do see over time, I think our controls will get better. I think people will start to reevaluate how they hold on to data. And hopefully these types of attacks will lessen over time as we hit a peak, I think, in the coming year. I think a peak is coming in a year or two, and then some desensitization from consumers, plaintiffs, attorneys picking up speed. And then hopefully we get to a safer online place where data is protected overall. Melissa, how about you? Any predictions? 
in my dream world, we've developed technology that really changed how we use data. The government has changed this whole concept of social security numbers. So identity theft instances are few and far between. Technology is this defense in depth from a systems perspective where it's off the shelf, super complex so that small companies can have it as well as large companies and people really can't attack. That's my dream world. In the real world, though, we're going to continue to see more exfiltration of data The attackers continue to adapt to how companies respond to incidents. For instance, ransomware initially happened. Then people started getting backups. So they went and deleted the backups. Now the backups are segmented. So they're like, all right, I'm just going to take all your information. And I think they'll develop other tactics and techniques to really drive companies who don't want to pay. So I see that continuing. I see legislation continuing in the U.S. perspective from the government for those critical infrastructure defense contractors. And I see that being a trickle-down effect to the supply chain so that really that's going to drive tighter security controls, if you will, in that supply chain so that maybe that'll also help protect the systems and information more. But I also see continued problems. We've got a lot of old technology out there. We've got a lot of end-of-life technology out there and the critical infrastructure arena. I think we'll see those types of incidents. And I think that all of us probably have job security for life here. And Adi, we'll end with you. Predictions for the future. It looks like what's going to happen is this is just going to continue to normalize and the regulations are going to continue to evolve And if anything, you're going to continue to see the perspective of each citizenry in a way, like the Europeans have their perspective on what privacy means. The US has their perspective. Canada has their perspective. Australia has their perspective. It's very cultural. Figuring out how they all work together is incredibly important because every company, even a 10-person company can effectively be a global company these days. There's definitely 10-person companies who have clients in Canada and Australia and Europe and the US. Getting to the point of like people don't know what they have, a lot of businesses that run very tight on EBITDA and there is not a lot of spend to be found for what they need to do to protect this. New businesses that are growing up now are coming into a world where this is table stakes and technology is evolving to make it reasonably cost-effective to keep up, at least stay current on these problems. What's current now is not going to be current in 10 years. The threat actors continue to evolve. So essentially, the market is growing. The thing that we're trying to do is, is certainly both morally and intellectually stimulating. I think there's going to be a lot more people around the table, and it's going to be really interesting to see how this evolves. Well, thank you all for your time today. Very interesting thoughts all around data breach, where it started, where we are today, and where we may be headed. And I hope you all enjoyed the conversation as well. So thank you. Tune in to the next episode of the Elevate Together podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and elevateservices.com. 